Welcome, friends and seekers, to the Gospel Inc. podcast, where ink meets inspiration and stories of faith come to life. I am your host, David Green, and while I'm not a preacher, I'm here to guide you on a refreshing journey through the pages of hope and salvation. Each week, we delve into different chapters of the Bible, unpacking the wisdom, uncovering the truths, and exploring the life-saving message within. Together, we will navigate the rich mosaic of God's Word, allowing it to illuminate our paths, enrich our spirits, and deepen our understanding of faith and life. Imagine navigating the complete life with the Bible as your compass, painting each day with the strokes of grace, love, and truth. Here at Gospel Inc., that is not just a dream. It is our shared journey. So why wait? Embark on an enlightening adventure with us. Let your spirit be stirred and your heart be filled with the warmth and ultimate truth. Stay tuned and stay blessed as we unfold Byron Hughes of the Gospel, only here on Gospel Inc. Welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of Gospel Inc. This is David Green, and I am truly honored to have you join me today as we delve into the mysteries and revelations of God's Word. Today, we are journeying through Revelations 15, a chapter that captures moments of awe, divine majesty, and profound anticipation of God's righteous judgments. The book of Revelations is often seen as a complex, anemic, and for some, even intimidating. Yet, as with all scripture, it contains a treasure trove of insights, reassurances, and directives for our spiritual journey. Through the symbolic imagery, cosmic events, and celestial wonders, it paints a vivid tapestry of God's sovereignty, love, justice, and eventual restoration of all things. So as we delve into the specifics of Revelations 15 today, I invite you to approach it with an open heart, eager to glean from its depths and beauty. Let's seek to understand the significance of the heavenly sanctuary, a role of celestial beings, and the weight of God's imminent actions. But remember, while Revelation holds prophetic implications, it also has timeless messages for our present day. In today's world, where chaos often reigns with moral compass seen uh, misaligned, these verses offer a beacon of hope, urging us towards reverence, anticipation, and alignment with the divine. So without further ado, let's immerse ourselves in the divine ink of the gospel as we study Revelations 15 together. So first we're going to start in Revelations chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Here is what it says. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hand. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are you deeds, O Lord the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Now, what we see here is the heavenly significance, right? The recurring motif of signs in heaven within the book of Revelations carries with it a profound implication, emphasizing the gravity and divine orchestration of the unfolding events. When another such sign appears, heralding the entrance of the seven angels bearing the seven plagues, it's clear that these acts are not mere happenstance, but divinely orchestrated markers of significant moments. The number seven, deeply entrenched in biblical symbology, often uh, signifies completeness or perfection. With these seven angels and their uh, corresponding plagues, there is a palpable sense of finality. 
suggesting that these aren't just judgments, but rather the completion of God's divine retribution. It's as uh, if the eternity of Scripture, with its warnings, prophecies, and covenants, culminating in this very moment, underscoring God's unyielding righteousness. This pivotal scene paints a picture of a world that has reached a zenith of rebellion, and in response, the heavens declare the fullness of God's wrath, emphasizing the inevitable consequences of a world and spiritual defiance. And then we see the sea of glass, right? The sea of glass mingled with fire in the book of Revelations is a symbol laden with layers of meeting, capturing the juxtapose of tranquility and intensity. The sea of glass represents clarity and purity, suggesting the unblemished nature of God's presence. This vast expanse can also be viewed as the barrier between humanity and the divine, illustrating the profound holiness of God, emphasizing his majesty and distinctiveness. However, the fire mingled with the serene sea introduces elements of judgment and purification. Throughout scripture, fire symbolizes God's presence, like the burning bush Moses encountered, and it represents purification as gold is refined. Yet it's also an emblem of judgment, as witnessed in events like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Within this context, the mingled of fire with the sea communicates both God's purifying presence and the impending judgment that awaits. Moreover, fire stands as a metaphor for the trials and tribulations believers face, pointing to the challenges that test and ultimately refine their faith. Now, beside the sea stand those who have conquered the beast, signifying their victory over persecution, their resistance to apostasy, their unwavering fullness to God. Their proximity to the sea symbolizes their purified and redeemed state. Armed with harps and poised in worship, they sing a song of deliverance and redemption, testifying to their journey of faith and the grace they've received. In essence, the imagery of the sea of glass mingled with fire paints a vivid picture of God's holiness, the journey of believers through refining trials, and the triumphant worship that ensues in God's sanctified presence. And then we see the victory over the beast, right? The depiction of individuals standing by the sea in Revelations is not just a mere uh, portrayal of celestial beings in a divine setting. It carries profound spiritual significance. These individuals are recognized and celebrated for their victory over the beast, its image, and the number of its name. This victory is you know, a sign of the resistance against the overwhelming tides of worldly temptations, false doctrines, and you know, the myriad of spiritual deceptions that seek to snare every soul. In a world rife you know, with challenges to faith, their triumph stands as a beacon, highlighting the power of unwavering faith. However, this isn't just a story of human resilience or strength. It underscores the divine grace that empowers believers to overcome even the most formidable adversaries. Their positioning by the sea in a state of triumph serves as a testament to the blend of human commitment and the overwhelming grace of God that ensures victory over spiritual challenges. Then we see the Song of Moses and the Lamb. The Song of Moses and the Lamb in Revelation bridges that vast expanse of biblical history, creating a harmonious link between the Old and New Testaments. This song resonates with the echoes of God's enduring deeds and His steadfast love across you know, all the ages. In the Old Testament, the Song of Moses is recorded in Exodus 15. It bursts forth in jubilant praise following the miraculous deliverance of the Israelites from the clutches of Egypt, a moment that underscores God's protective power and his commitment to his chosen people. Now, fast forward to the New Testament, right? The Song of the Lamb is a, is a melody that in tribute to Jesus Christ, celebrating his sacrificial love that culminated on the cross, offering redemption to all those in humanity. And together, these songs, you know, they weave a tapestry that showcases the continuity of God's salvation plan from, you know, the freeing of the Israelites to the the broader spiritual emancipation through Christ. 
You know, this harmonist serves as a powerful reminder of God's unwavering love and his consistent hand in guiding humanity through every age. So here are my takeaways from this Bible verse, right? First, it's going to be trials and tribulations. In our modern era, believers encounter various challenges to their faith, ranging from societal pressures, moral dilemmas, to, you know, crises. The image of the triumphant standing by the sea serves as a reminder that through steadfast faith and resilience on God's grace, one can overcome worldly obstacles. Next is the call to authentic worship. The song of the victorious, right, emphasizes true and genuine worship of God. In a world with, you know, many, many distractions and false idols, this serves as a clearing call to recognize and worship God for his unparalleled deeds and righteousness. And then the universal recognition of God's sovereignty, the acknowledgement that all nations will worship God, underscores the universality of God's dominion. In a globalized world, this prophetic vision paints a hopeful future where divisions and disparities give way to unified worship. You know, these verses, with its vivid imagery and profound messages, reminds believers of the ultimate victory awaiting them. In the face of adversaries and overwhelming odds, it offers solace and inspiration and the promise that God's justice will prevail. The chapter reaffirms the eternal truth of God's love, manifested through his righteous deeds, and remains a beacon for humanity guiding them towards salvation and triumphant worship. Next, we're going to go down to verses 5 through 6. This is what I call the heavenly sanctuary revealed. Here's what that verse says. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and with golden sashes around their chest. Now, the sanctuary opens, right? The moment when the sanctuary in heaven opens, drawing attention to the tent of witnesses, is a profound echo of a sacred past and a foretelling of monumental events on the horizon. In the annals of the Old Testament, the tent of witness, or the tabernacle as it's often called, held a place of immense significance. It was more than just a physical structure. It was a tangible manifestation of God's presence amidst the Israelites, a holy space where heaven met earth. Now, as we fast forward to the book of Revelations, the unveiling of its heavenly counterpart isn't a mere ceremonial act. This act of unveiling suggests a profound revelation akin to pulling back the curtains on divine mysteries and impending judgments. It's as if the barriers between the divine and mortal are momentarily blurred, offering a glimpse into the heart of God's plan and purpose. This opening signifies more than just accessibility. It heralds a time of revelation, a pivotal juncture where the intents, plans, and judgments of the divine are laid bare for all creation to witness. Next, we see the seven angels of judgment, right? The emergence of the seven angels of judgment from the sanctuary is a sight imbued with deep spiritual significance. These celestial beings emanating directly from the sanctified presence of God serve as a divine emissaries bearing not just any message, but the weight of God's righteous judgment. The plagues they carry aren't random acts of chaos. They are direct manifestations of divine retribution, embodying God's response to a world astray. The you know, origin coming forth from the sanctuary further underscores the sanctity and purpose behind their mission. In the biblical narrative, the sanctuary is more than a mere location. It's a testament to God's holiness, his presence, and his righteous character. Thus, the angels emerging from the sacred place is a poignant reminder that the impending judgments are not only aligned with God's holy character, but are a direct extension of his divine will and purpose. This unfolding scene serves to remind readers that even in moments of judgment, God's actions are rooted in his unwavering righteousness and sober intent. 
And then we see the clothing of purity. The meticulous detailing of the angel's attire and revelations isn't merely an aesthetic description. It carries profound spiritual undertones. Dressed in pure, bright linen, these celestial beings exude an aura of righteousness and sanctity. Within the biblical context, linen, particularly when depicted as a bright or white, stands as representation of righteousness and purity. Such attire serves as a visual affirmation of their divine standing and the holiness of their mission. You know, this accentuates the ethereal attire and a golden sash they wear. Gold throughout scriptures is often associated with attributes like purity, royalty, and divinity. In the context of the angels, this sash not only amplifies the divine authority, but also positions them as bearers of royal decrees from the heavens. Together, the linen and the golden sash paint a vivid picture of these angels. They are not just messengers, but divine emissaries, cloaked in righteousness, bearing the weight and authority of God's will. So what are my takeaways? Just as the sanctuary is open to reveal the angels of judgment, in our lives, there are moments of clarity where God's will and purpose become evident. These moments, akin to unveiling of the sanctuary, requires reverence and recognition of the divine origin. So first, we're going to talk about God's direct intervention. The direct emancipation of the angels from God's sanctuary serves as a reminder that God isn't a distant observer. He intervenes directly in the affairs of the world, especially when it concerns the execution of his righteous judgment. This offers assurances to believers that God's justice will always prevail, even when the world seems to spiral into chaos. Then the pursuit of righteousness. The angel's attire serves as a symbolic reminder of the aspirations towards purity, righteousness, and holiness. In a world often mirrored in moral ambiguities, this imagery encourages believers to strive for a life that reflects God's purity and righteousness. In the narrative of Revelations chapter 15, verses 5 through 6, the divine choreography is evident. The opening of the sanctuary and the emergence of the angels are not just random events, but a meticulously planned revelation of God's final acts of judgment. For believers, these verses reaffirm that even in moments of dire foreboding, there is a divine purpose, and God's righteousness and justice will always shine through. The challenge lies in recognizing these divine interventions and aligning oneself with God's eternal purpose. Now moving down to verse 7, the golden bowls of God's wrath. Here's what this says. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Now the four living creatures, right? The four living creatures introduced in the tapestry of Revelation's visions hold a distinct position in heavenly realms. Their constant presence around the throne of God, as described in Revelations 4, reveals their intimate connection to the divine. Engaged perpetually in worship and adoration, these creatures are embolic of continuous acknowledgement of God's majesty and sovereignty. Their reintroduction and involvement in the unfolding narrative of Revelation signifies more than just a casual mention. Their participation in these particular events accentuates the gravity and sanctity of the impending judgments. It's as if their presence underscores that the judgments are not arbitrary, but instead are deeply interwoven to the very fabric of God's divine plan and purpose. By anchoring the narrative with the involvement of these eternal worshipers, the text serves as a powerful reminder of the holistic and sacred nature of God's actions, even in moments of judgment. Next, we see the golden bulls. The imagery of the golden bulls in Revelation's narrative is laden with deep symbolism. There aren't just vessels, right? Their composition and description carry layers and meaning. Gold, a metal that permeates biblical literature, uh, consistently aligns with themes of purity, divine nature, and the majesty of kinship. As such, the choice of golden bulls to contain God's judgment amplifies the sanctity and gravity of what they hold. 
These judgments aren't fleeting moments of divine whim, but rather weighty and precious decrees rooted in God's pure and righteous character. The vessels themselves, the bowl, further encapsulates this ideal. Bowls are open, visible, and often used in scripture in context of offerings or judgments, suggesting transparency and intentionality. The combination of the bowl's form and its golden substance serves as underlying the central message. God's judgments, as encapsulated within these golden bowls, are transparently righteous, intrinsically valuable, and executed with the full weight and authority of divine kinship. Then we see the full, uh, full of the wrath of God. The phrase full of the wrath of God resounds with a thundering emphasis on the gravity of the divine judgment that is about to be released. The multifaceted nature of God's character is one of profound mysteries celebrated throughout scriptures. While he is boundlessly loving, merciful, and patient, God's nature is equally defined by his justice and righteousness. This wrath, then, isn't a fleeting or moment of anger, but rather a deep, righteous indignation towards the persistence of sin and the proliferation of evil. In response, um, that you know emanates from his unyielding commitment to justice. The imagery of the bulls being full underscores this sentiment even further. It suggests that not only the intensity, but also the comprehensiveness of the impending judgment. There's no half measure here. The bulls are brimming, signifying that the judgment will both be you know thorough and complete. This imagery serves as a sobering reminder that while God's grace is vast, there comes a time when his justice will address and rectify the scales of cosmic balance wrought by sin and rebellion. So my takeaways from this verse, right? It's first is the acknowledgement of divine justice. The handing over of the bowls by one of the living creatures serves as a potent reminder of God's active role in executing justice. In today's world, where injustice often you know, seems rampant, believers can take solace in the fact that ultimate justice lies in the hands of our eternal God. And then the gravity of sin. The bowls being full of God's wrath underscores the seriousness with which God views sin and rebellion against his will. In a culture that often downplays the consequences of actions and promotes you know, relative morality, this imagery stands as a stark reminder of the absolute nature of divine morality and the real consequences of turning away from it. Then the eternal nature of God. The description of God as the one who lives forever and ever offers both comfort and caution. It reassures believers of the eternal, unchanging nature of God. His promises and his love at the same time, it serves as a warning that God's judgment, too, are eternal and unyielding. Ultimately, Revelations chapter 15, verse 7, with its vivid imagery of the golden bowls and the direct involvement of the celestial beings, emphasizes the impending finality and righteousness of God's judgment. For believers, you know, it stands as a beacon, urging them to align with God's will and righteousness. It also serves as a stark reminder of the consequences that await a world steeped in rebellion against the divine order. Through this verse, the call is clear. Turn to God, acknowledge his eternal dominion, and find refuge in his grace and love. And finally, we're going to go to verse 8. The sanctuary filled with God's glory. Here's what it says. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So we see the sanctuary filled with smoke. The imagery of the sanctuary being enveloped in gray smoke calls, black to, calls back to the poignant episode in the biblical narrative where God's manifest presence is powerfully displayed. And then all of Israel history, moments like the dedication of Solomon's temple, as recounted in 1 Kings 8.10-11, uh, through 11, stand out vividly. Then, as the priest withdrew from the holy place, the temple was filled with a cloud, signifying the very presence of God and his approval of the sacred space. This wasn't just any cloud. 
It was a tangible demonstration of God's overwhelming glory and majesty. Similarly, in Revelations, the smoke filling the sanctuary isn't merely an atmospheric detail. It's a profound symbol of the imminence of God, an expression of his unapproachable holiness and overwhelming splendor. This smoke acts as both a veil and a proclamation. A veil because it shields the fullness of God's glory, which no man can directly behold and survive, and a proclamation because it declares, in no uncertain terms, the weighty and sanctity of the imminent proceedings. It serves as a tangible reminder that the events unfolding are not just cosmic or celestial in nature, but deeply rooted in the character and majesty of God himself. We see the glory of God and his power. The intertwining themes of glory of God and his power are central to the understanding the divine narrative throughout scripture. When the sanctuary becomes engulfed in smoke, stemming from both God's glory and power, it's a potent emblem that resonates with the deepest truths about God's nature. His glory is the radiant manifestation of his very essence, an awe-inspiring display of his unparalleled majesty and splendor. It's a reflection of who he is in his holiness, righteousness, and love. Yet paired with his glory is the mention of his power. This is not just a reference to God's ability to perform wondrous acts, but a testimony to his impotence, an unmatched authority and capability that governs the entirety of creation. When these two converge, as they do in smoke-filled sanctuary, it signifies something monumental. This isn't a mere spectacle. It's a divine proclamation, a clarion call, heralding a significant act of God. This convergence, witnessed in the sanctuary, reminds the observer of the depth and breadth of God's nature. Here, in the midst of the unfolding prophetic events, the narrative pauses to refocus our attention on the one who will orchestrate it all. It serves as a poignant reminder, whatever comes is not just a cosmic importance, but is anchored in the glory and power of the Almighty. And then it says no one could enter. The notion that no one could enter the sanctuary underscores a moment of solemn, you know, of reverence. Within the tapestry of sacred spaces, the sanctuary has always been a symbol of divine presence, a place where the temporal meets the eternal. Yet, when entry is momentarily denied, it signifies a moment of profound significance. This isn't just a mere procedural pause. It's a divinely ordained hiatus, emphasizing the sheer weight of what's about to transpire. Such a pause you know, speaks to the holiness of the impending events. By preventing entry, it is as if heaven itself is taking a collective breath, making the gravity of the judgments that are soon to be released from the seven bowls. This temporary barrier also invites those witnesses the events, both in the celestial realm and the readers across the ages, to introspect and reflect on the you know, monumental nature of God's actions and their implications. In this moment of celestial stillness, there is a heightened awareness of the seriousness of God's impending judgment. It's a reminder that when God acts, it's with deliberate intention, born out of his righteous uh, justice. This pulse serves not just as a precursor to divine action, but as an invitation to understand the depth of God's heart and the magnitude of the events that are about to unfold. So my takeaways for this, right? Acknowledging divine majesty. In an age where many things, you know, compete for our attention and reverence, the filling of the sanctuary smoke serves as a reminder of the unparalleled majesty of God. It calls believers to recognize and revere God's supreme authority and glory above all else. Then awaiting God's timing. The period during which no one can enter the sanctuary can be likened to moments in our lives when we wait God's direction or intervention. It underscores the importance of patience, preparation, and reverence, and understanding that in his perfect timing, God will act. Then respect for sacred moments. 
just as the sanctuary is temporarily inaccessible, there are moments in our spiritual journey that demand, you know, reverence. It's a call for believers to recognize and respect sacred moments, understanding that they are pivotal in the spiritual growth and relationship with God. Revelations chapter 15, verse 8, really paints a picture of all-inspiring divine majesty and power. The momentary pause before the unleashing of judgments contained in the seven bowls offers a time of reflection and anticipation. For believers, is a power, powerful reminder of God's overwhelming glory, the gravity of his righteous judgments, and the importance of patience reverence in the spiritual journey. It reinforces the eternal truth that God's actions, though sometimes mysterious, are always perfect in timing and purpose. So as we you know, draw our exploration of Revelations chapter 15 to a close today, let's reflect upon the pivotal truths and revelations that have emerged during our time together. First, God's majestic presence. The filling of the sanctuary with smoke reminds us of the awe-inspiring and unmatched presence of our God. It's a call to recognize and continually revere His unmatched majesty, even in everyday lives. And then the righteousness of God's judgments. The golden bowls full of God's wrath emphasizes His righteous nature. Our God is not indifferent to sin and evil. He is loving, yet just. His impending actions, though severe, are rooted in his divine justice and love for all of creation. Then a time for reflection and anticipation. The momentary pause in the sanctuary speaks of the importance of patience, reverence, and preparation. In our own lives, we too encounter pauses. Moments where we wait God's guidance, intervention, or judgment. It's during these times that we're called to lean onto God's promises, trust his timing, and strengthen our faith. Today's fast-paced world, right, where distractions are mere uh, moments and could be an eternity, we need to reflect on Revelation chapter 15. It serves as a timely reminder. It calls us to be vigilant, to anticipate the fulfillment of God's promises, and to live in reverence of his presence. As you go about your week, I challenge you to carry these truths with you. Let them shape your prayers, influence your actions, and deepen your relationship with the Almighty. And always remember, even in the most profound mysteries and complexities of Scripture, there lies an enduring message of hope, love, and divine purpose. Thank you for joining me today on Gospel Inc. This is David Green, urging you to remain anchored in the truths of the gospel and let its ink forever etch wisdom and hope upon your hearts. Until next time, stay blessed and keep the faith. Today, as we delve deeply into the chapter of the Bible, let our hearts be tuned to the resounding echoes of divine truth and hope that transcends the ages and whispers fervently to our spirits every day. In the swirling torments of time, marked by uncertainty and confusion and the shadows of persecution, let us anchor ourselves in the unshakable reality of Christ's sovereignty. He reigns supreme, his authority is unyielding, and his love is unfailing. Remember, he is the triumphant king who holds the keys to life and death, whose resurrected power pulses in our veins of creation, promising us victory over the grave and the gift of eternal life. As we tread the pages that unfold the visions granted to John on the rugged terrain of island of Patmos, let us not forget the context of this revelation. Patmos, a place of isolation and exile, mirrors the depths and despair and abandonment. Yet, it is here, amid the barren landscape, that the radiant light of God presence pierces the veil of darkness, illuminating the path of hope, assurance, and eternal promises. Here it states, Do not be afraid 
I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the key to death and Hades. In the face of towering empires and oppressive rulers, John, the apostle of love, received the unyielding words of Christ, a message of flame with resolute courage and unyielding victory. These wars breathe life and resilience into the fledging Christian community battered by the tempts and persecution and fear of the overarching empire. But here he says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written because the time is near. Let this blessing permeate our very beings, infusing us with the strength and fortitude as we navigate the pathway of our lives. May the profound words and visions of revelations fill our spirits with unwavering assurance in Christ's ultimate victory and eternal reign. In the mosaic of divine revelations, may we glimpse the celestial tapestry of God's unending love and faithfulness. As we close this reflection, let us carry forth the flame of hope ignited by the resplendent visions of John, allowing its light to guide our steps, dispel our fears, and deepen our unwavering allegiance to our risen Lord. I pray that our hearts may ever be strengthened, our spirits ever emboldened, and our lives ever anchored in the boundless ocean of God's eternal paradise. In precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I say amen. I want to close today with a simple prayer. If you would, please close your eyes and bow your head with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins today, and I invite you to come into my heart and come into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, remember, saying this prayer or any other prayer will not save you by itself. It is the genuine faith and conviction in your heart that God cares about. The words are simply a way for you to express your faith and commitment to God. The true salvation experience comes from truly believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, feeling remorse for your sins, and living a life that shows commitment to following His teachings. Now, I want to thank you, right? Thank you for following with me today, for listening to my words. If you found my content of value, I invite you to click the subscribe button. Over the next few weeks, our journey will further unfold into the chapters of Revelations. Your insights are important to me. If there's anything you disagree with or would like to share feedback on, please don't hesitate to leave me a comment. In future episodes, I plan to review comments on the podcast because engaging discussion often leads to deeper understanding. And perhaps God has granted you insight into his divine promises that could enlighten us all. Wishing you a blessed and joyful week.